What's up, Daw Nation? My name is Wyatt Troy, and I want to welcome you to this week's episode of Behind the Daw. Now, if you're new to the podcast, totally cool, totally fine, totally not mad. What it is, is a podcast where I interview music producers, artists, music industry experts, singers, songwriters, sound designers, literally everyone else in between on an emotional, philosophical, branding, marketing, and overall music business basis. This is also a companion podcast to our YouTube series, In the Daw, where we invite huge music producers to come and dissect their songs in real time. We've had people like Kashmir, Moset, Fox Stevenson, AU5, Quick, Said the Sky, and a whole bunch of other people. So if you want to watch those massively amazing producers break down songs right before your eyes literally show you everything then go ahead and head on over to the daw nation youtube channel also if you want to listen to those episodes as opposed to watching them those are on the podcast as well they're over here those are the 0.5 episodes if you're more of a listener than a watcher you're in the right place if you're more of a watcher than a listener then go ahead and head on over to the daw nation youtube channel with all that being said daw nation who are we interviewing this week this week we have the dynamic duo botneck now what is so impressive about this episode what are you going to walk away with how is this going to help your life what we're going to talk about this week is a bunch of different things there's so much value inside of this episode but some of the main things that we're going to be talking about are number one networking without being overbearing when you go to an event and you're trying to network you're trying to get to know people bring value to people it's so easy easy to be able to be overbearing and to almost kind of creep them out in a way, right? You don't want that. You don't want that at all. So this episode is going to teach you how not to do that. Okay. Second thing you're going to be learning is Botnik's really practical and innovative way of generating ideas. Seriously, it's really, really great. Not just for music, which this is very applicable to music, but just kind of for anything. And whenever you need ideas, their method of being able to come up with new ideas is actually really, really phenomenal, really, really groundbreaking. Third thing that we're going to be talking about this week is being honest with your branding, as well as a whole ton of other branding tips and tricks and all kinds of stuff like that these guys really do have a solid brand going on and you know i bring some branding knowledge to the table and we discuss it we even disagree at times it's actually really really it's a really great conversation we actually do come to an agreement on some stuff and it's really really amazing so uh, you're gonna be walking away with a lot of branding information and ideas and things to walk away with the fourth thing that we're gonna be talking about is can music fill a hole in your life and this is actually a really good question if you have other things that are really really bothering you other things that are kind of you know encroaching on on, on your music making life can music kind of feel that all right we're going to be talking about that not everyone that's listening is going to have that and that's totally fine but maybe some of you are and so this is really really going to help you out so donation i hope you're really freaking stoked about this episode and finally just so you know this episode of behind the dot is sponsored by the au5 and donation course called the school base now we're going to get through the entire episode before we even talk about that so if you're interested in learning about more about sound design getting more innovative with sound design going to the deep dark advanced steps of sound design then go ahead and wait till the end of the episode we're going to talk about it over there. So with all that out of the way, Donation, let's go behind the DAW with Botnik. Deep, deep inside the room. Welcome everyone to this week of Behind the Daw. We're honored to be able to have Botnik. Botnik. Hey. Hello. What up, Daw Nation? So do I refer to you two as Botnik or Botnecks or Gordon and Eric? I mean, how do you want me to refer to you? I think on paper, Botnik sounds better, but in real life, calling me a Botnik would be kind of weird. Gordon and Eric is our birth names, and that's more realistic to our personalities. Got it, Gordon and Eric. Guys, before we start, I'm going to require both of you to tell me the most embarrassing story of both of your lives. Most embarrassing fact. I'll start with that. Regardless of all of me fighting against it, I have totally become like a California guy. Like I'm from Canada. And every time someone asks me where I'm from, I always say Canada. I never say I'm from Los Angeles, even though I live here and I've been like fighting that for years. And just yesterday I was talking to somebody, I was talking to one of the golf clap dudes and 
I just realized how Californian I said, I, I was like, I have to go. I'm about to do Pilates by the pool. <laughs> and I was tying my hair up into a man bun. And I was just like, Gordon, and you're about to have a friggin' kale smoothie after this. You've just become like the epitome of California. You're so cliche. I'm so impressionable. It's unbelievable. But hey, <laughs> I like the California lifestyle. I can't complain. The man bun really solidifies it. That's like the true, like literal cherry on top of that yeah. whole story. If I start man surfing, bun. yeah, got it. I'm gonna start like living on the beach. I will like be ripping shingles up and like doing art with them, and that will be what I would do instead of botnik for the rest of my life, <laughs> forever. <laughs> Eric, can you? Uh, can you? I can think of one. I mean. It's it's not so much like it's embarrassing in and of itself. This situation is always embarrassing, but the story itself is quite dark. Gorin's that time when we were in China and I got like drugged. The whole story that makes it embarrassing is that I was trying to DJ and being in this state that was not, you know, a state that I'm ever in. And uh, Gordon had to kick me off the decks. Yes, I did. <clears throat> I would say uh, in terms of like, embarrassing throughout my life there's been embarrassing things but like this one being you know our job and obviously wanting to do a good job gordon kicking me off the decks i would say for me takes the cake it was pretty awful but yeah the story of getting drugged you know that's also the reason why so i'm pretty rough I remember specifically, Eric, that I like gave you some warnings because he thought the pitch control was the volume. So he <laughs> pushing the pitch control like up the way you would do a volume, but it was actually down. So the songs just kept slowing down so fast. <laughs> and I was like, now. Eric, you can't do that. That's not the volume. And you'd be like, <laughs> yeah, and I have I, no like, idea. It was like a scene out of a romantic comedy. I like hands to shoulders i just shoved you out of the dj booth i'm like you're not allowed to dj anymore <laughs> how did you get drugged somehow something got put into my drink i mean i can look back at it now and laugh but at the time it was not so funny it was it was very stressful we were shaking and just like like in the fetal position in the airport missed our yeah. flight that was the first time i missed a flight it was because of the traffic to the airport was unlike anything we'd ever seen before and it took us like two hours to get to the airport and we were like yeah. okay well we're gonna have to buy a new flight now anyways it put hair on our chest i suppose yeah you guys ready to get into the deeper side of everything yep let's go to the dark side baby let's do it so before i get into my questions i just first off want to ask has there ever in any interview that you've ever had has there ever been a concept or a subject that you've wanted to talk about but you've just never had the chance to talk about it i can speak mm. for eric and that he just wants to talk about oscillators all day <laughs> i do enjoy oscillators he wants very nice. from b he wants <laughs> wants comb filters. I do. Wants to talk about that stuff. But a lot of the interviews we've always done have always just been like complete nonsense. Yeah. So I guess in that way, it doesn't really matter now. I'll say anything. <laughs> cool. We do get a lot of the same questions. That's for sure. We always. Yeah. Get, what does botnik mean? We're like, it's made up, and they're like, oh. And you're like, <laughs> Next question. <laughs> That's about it. We did get it one time, though. I mean, I remember Eric knows this very well because I tell this story so many times because I can't believe someone figured this out. It was like therapy or something. Like, it was like a psychologist like going into the core of your being and like ripping it out of you. At Hard Day of the Dead one year, they are interviewing us and they go, what does botanic mean? And I'm like, it's made up word. <laughs> and he was like, cool. What video games did you play when you were a kid? I was like, Sonic 1, Sonic 2. He's like, I'll stop you right there. He's like, so botanic doesn't at all come from the villain Dr. Robotnik. And I was like, oh, 
probably probably <laughs> heavy, uh, heavy breathing intensifies yeah <laughs> arthur fist yeah <laughs> you like crushed me i was like gosh darn <laughs> the first question i have for you guys and i need you to like get as deep as you can with this question right i want to get to the core of your being with this question so why music why i mean what what relation do you have to music like at the core of it all why why the music I don't know what else I would do. I've seen like my sister grow up, for example, and like was just always trying to find out what she wanted to do with herself. You know, she was going to school and she was trying different subjects. She went to university and was like trying a couple of different things before she found her major. But she never really knew what she wanted to do or she never like had a thing. And when I was like three, I have memories of my dad yelling at me because I was taking his CDs out of his CD thing and opening them up, ripping all the crap out of them and like tracing the dimensions of the booklets and like making up my own imaginary albums and like drawing all these pictures and writing like words and like it was like a little toddler writing these things like totally awful but I was like imagining these CDs and I would be like mom my band it's my band and like she was like you're not allowed to use a stapler and scissors why are you doing that and I was like my band <laughs> <laughs> but yeah that stemmed into my mom had a little piano I would play that and she had acoustic guitar I would play that and then it kind of really took shape when I was going to middle school and it was like, you know, Canada seems like all lovey-dovey and it's like a bunch of goofballs that love to play hockey and whatnot. It's definitely not that. It's not all that. I mean, yeah. I was going to like a tougher middle school. Like they had like bars in the windows and pretty routinely they had the cops showing up because of, you know, narcotics and things. Like there were people selling drugs to kids that were, they were like 11 years old. And my mom told me that if you stay out of drugs and are on your best behavior, at this school for three years. I will buy you anything you want. And as a kid, I was like, I want an electric guitar. I was like, boom, that's what I want. And she was like, deal. And we went down the store that day and bought me an electric guitar. It was like 150 bucks at the time. And I started learning how to play it. And pretty quickly, I was into like making the wee, 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 wee noises with the guitar and seeing what the delay would do. My point is, is that I've never considered anything else. I was just like, as soon as I was born, just like drawn to that and never like looked elsewhere. I guess I like went to school for computer science just because I didn't think that I was ever going to actually be a musician, but I actually wanted to do that the whole time. Like I would be, instead of doing my computer science homework, I'd be like in Fruity Loops making beats. And I was just like obsessed. I always wanted to be better than I was. I knew I kind of sucked. And I just always had this aspiration to do more. And that drive, I just always had that when I was a kid. So I don't even know what the philosophical meaning is. Is it like, do I just want to have that attention? <laughs> do I want to have my dad love me? Like, I don't know what it is, but it's like, I truly really don't know what the psychological reasoning is or what it is I want to like be in front of people or I want to share something with people or maybe it's how I want to express myself to people but either way it's all I've ever been drawn to so that would mm. be my answer got it got it because your first I'm gonna get to you in just a second Eric mm -hmm. but the first answer that you said I wasn't quite buying it because you said you didn't know what else you would do and I didn't believe that I think it was much deeper and then as you kept going on you explained a little bit more you were always drawn to it because to say that yeah I want to do music because I don't know what else I do is kind of a poor reason yeah you know what I mean yeah. <laughs> it's just like well, I don't know what else to do today I might as well do music and so but no but you've always been drawn to it so when you say that you've been drawn to it I mean what about it if you've been drawn to is it like the way that made you feel or like the, the complexity of sounds I mean what come on we're getting deep here. Like we're, 
we're, we're getting deep. It was always playing around the house when I grew up. So I just always had music on and I was always thinking about it. It's almost like it's not a choice I'm making, honestly. Even to this day, I'll just be like sitting on my desk and be like, boop, 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 like little melodies going through my head. And if I don't get it out, it's like a compulsion. I'll just drive myself nuts. I remember like I dated this girl for years and she was like not supportive of me doing music. And I would just be like sitting across from like dinner with her and being like in my head. And she was like, what are you thinking of? And I'm like, I I'm like, I'm listening. I'm listening. What are you talking about? And like just this like compulsive thing where I just wanted to make music all the time and like couldn't think about anything else. And I was like, why am I so selfish? Why can't I focus on anything else for two seconds? But once I get it out of my system, then I'm good. And then I want to run around and drink beers and do push-ups. What draws me to it is, I guess, the feeling of that accomplishment. Once you get it out of you and like it like manifests itself and sometimes it's even better than you imagined. Maybe it's like, maybe you have this song that you were trying for something, you actually made something even cooler than you expected. And that feeling, that rush of endorphins that you get when, or is it endorphins? Whatever it is, happy juice. Yeah, dopamine, endorphins, all that kind of stuff. That stuff. Goodies. You get like this thrill when you have this song and you just listen to it on repeat and you want to go for a walk and listen to it and you just want to hear it and you're so proud of yourself that feeling that's what i've been chasing got it that totally makes sense what about you eric why music for you mine's mostly just a form of self-soothing to be honest so like the course of like my childhood growing up always like gravitated towards lots of things but is always for the reason of wanting to make myself feel good i didn't get a lot of attention like from my parents growing up I'm the youngest in my family, but I wasn't exactly getting a lot of one-on-one -on -one emotional connection with them. So like they were working all the time and, you know, et cetera, et cetera. So I was always finding like different things for myself that made me feel good and made me feel like I did something, you know, was an accomplishment in some way. So like I used to draw a lot and um, I just recently actually started drawing again and I'm getting the same feeling from that that I used to when I was younger and it's the exact same thing that I do when I make music. I used to play a lot of sports and that was like also a very similar feeling. So when you don't get a lot of emotional support as a child or as a young person, you used to do that yourself. And music was something that I was always really interested in when I was a kid. My sister's a music teacher. I was in band in middle school and it had too much structure for me. I hated it. I hated playing an instrument. And it wasn't until probably about grade, I don't know, eight ish is like I found Sony Acid Pro and just kind of started making music. I was listening to like Cosmic Gate, like trance back then. I was like, oh, you know, I, this seems like fun. This is something that makes me feel good, you know, in the same way that drawing does and kind of just kept doing it. You know, like I would play games, I would exercise, I would draw and I would make music. And at some point in my life, I graduated high school and then I took a year off, worked and then I went to art school. And after about a year of art school, I realized I was like, I like drawing, but I don't want to do this as a job, you know, or I didn't know how to make this a job. It just didn't seem to make sense. And growing up where Gordon, I grew up, you're kind of a little bit of an outsider if you're trying to do something in the arts. It's a kind of like a working class town. You know, you're expected to do working class things, you know, go get a job, work the nine to five, et cetera, et cetera. So being an artist is a little frowned upon by great many people, including my family in some ways. And so at that point, when I finished the first year of art school, I just decided to not do that anymore. And I was like, what else am I good at? And music was the other thing because I was doing that a lot more at that time. And I was like, I just want to do music. I didn't really think about making it a career. Honestly, at that point, I was just like, I like doing this and this is what I want to do. There were choices involved there, but I guess I made a choice by not making a choice because I didn't know what I was doing. So music became the most important thing for me because as I've gotten older, I realized that as Gordon was saying earlier, it's like, 
we've gotten better as producers and we've been able to, you know, more adeptly focus like what it is we're trying to do, that emotion that we're trying to convey in our music. Maybe in the early, early years, you're like a little bit frustrated because you're really trying to get this like feeling of sadness or this feeling of anger and, and uh, into your music. And I don't really always know what the feeling is for like the dance music that Gordon and I make, but there's a feeling there. And then we're both trying to express that, I'd say. But for me, it's always been about like soothing my own soul and making myself feel good. And uh, that's why I make music. I see what you're saying. I think I can relate to that. I think the reason why I got into music is very similar to what you had. It's like you were missing something or that it provided comfort or love or whatever you want to say, where like a family situation or relationship wise, it wasn't providing that. So do you feel like you turning to music for that soothing, all that kind of stuff? Do you think it was actually able to replace that love you weren't getting? Or do you feel like you still had to get that love somewhere else? I don't really think that it's replaced that feeling. I think especially now as I've gotten older, I've realized that working towards something, I'm working towards like a feeling and music is, I guess, in a greater scheme, like expressing myself is part of that. It's not the whole. I actually personally don't understand people who do only music and that's their whole reason for living. I don't personally get that because I think of myself as a little archipelago and I have little bits of myself in lots of different places. And it's kind of my journey is to try and get all of those pieces kind of back to togetherness. Um, somewhere along the way, they kind of got separated maybe, or maybe they were always separated. I don't know. I'm just getting all philosophical. But music is one part of the story for me. I think as I get older, you know, I might not like give up music. I think I'll always do music in some way, shape or form. But I'm starting to add other things that I used to do or new things that I want to do into my, you know, little repertoire, my little toolbox, I guess. And I think I'll become a better artist as I start adding all of those things together. I think. So you both mentioned like you came from a town. I was like a working class town and they frowned upon the arts. I can totally relate to this. Out of curiosity, how big was the town that you guys grew up in? I just looked oh. it up the other day. My mom grew up in a town that currently has a population of 1,200 people. <laughs> yeah, dude. <laughs> Canning, Nova Scotia. Oh yeah, that's tiny. That's not where you guys grew up, right? Didn't you grow up in Canada? Yeah, yeah. I grew up in, yeah. Canning is about an hour into the valley of Nova Scotia, Canada. Um, yeah, it's on the east, east, east. And the capital is Halifax. And we were both kind of like a little bit outside of that. I, I grew up in a real slum called Lower Sackville. <laughs> <laughs> Lower Sackville. And I'm from Dartmouth that was labeled or called the dark side. Yeah, he was from so, the dark side. Did you really grow up in like hardcore ghetto situations? I oh, didn't. Mine was like kind of lower middle class, I'd say. Mine was like, there was definitely like a guy down the road for me that didn't have a front door and cops would like just like drive up onto his yard and like raid his house and stuff. And I mean, I saw that a couple of times, like the street adjacent to mine, my parents were like, you're not allowed to hang out on that road because they're like, those kids are bad. And it's true, you know, they were like, smoking cigarettes when they were six years old and stuff they wanted to protect me and make me like you know a little angel but like i get it like honestly i always use this reference but it's so true that show on netflix trailer park boys is made and entirely filmed where we're from and it's a joke you know it's a that's pretty farcical but it's like not that far off 
Yeah, the, like the first two seasons of the show were made. I could walk to where they made that show from where I grew up. It's like really very much what it was. Like those kids they were making fun of in that show. The um, bottle kids. Yeah, the bottle kids. That's the kind of kids I would go to school with. And like I remember doing that. I remember the kinds of stuff that we would do as kids. I never threw a bottle at a car. I saw kids doing it. Uh, the most mischievous thing I think we ever did was my friend Josh knew how to break into cars with a clothes hanger. So he would pop open the cars, break into them and he knew how to hotwire them. So he would like turn them on without the keys. Like he would, he just rip open that panel thing. And like, there's the two wires you had mess with and like the cars would just turn on and we would laugh and we thought it was so funny. We were like eight year old kids and we just would laugh at them. So here's the worst thing that we would do. We would, <laughs> we would turn the car on. We would turn the radio on as loud as it would go. We would turn the windshield wipers on as fast as they would go. And we would turn the air conditioning on as high as it would go and then turn it off and lock it up. And then what would happen is we would see like Ryan, you know, who lived across the street, his dad would get in the car and it would be like, you know, like everything would be on all at once. Murphy. <laughs> <laughs> It was like these harmless little pranks that we would do. But like, that's the kind of stuff that we would do growing up there. So I don't look back on it like we grew up in like a ghetto. But, you know, if you want to look at facts on paper, Nova Scotia has more drug related and gun violence per capita than Detroit. So that says something. I mean, I don't know if it still does, but it was rough. It was it was a good time. We're not like hardened criminals, Gordon and I. We're like, we're pretty tame. Yeah, you seem pretty chill. I, I, I never would assume that you came from those situations. That's insane. So the thing that I was getting at with talking about where you guys are growing up is like, you know, like I grew up in a very small town as well. I grew up in a town of 244 people. It was like amazingly small. Like it is a fact that when I left, there was only 243 people. You know what I mean? It was like, it was insanely small. And so, you know, there in the town that I grew up, it was like, son, you either hunt or you go make guns down at the local gun shop. That's all you do. That sounds very familiar to me. Although where I grew up had more people, but like that idea permeates a lot of different places for sure. Yeah. 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 Eric's version of that would be like, you become a plumber or you work down at the docks. That's exactly it. And I get it. And like, if you were, if you were living a luxury lifestyle, you would own your own farm. You know what I mean? That's like, oh, dang, they made it. You know what I mean? Like, oh, they did something right. So now like getting into music, trying to convey a musical vision when you're surrounded by people that have no idea what you're talking about, they have no idea how to support you or you know, frankly, don't want to support you on this. That was probably one of the hardest things that I've ever been through. To be able to find a song that truly resonated with my soul and that I wanted to create something like that. And then to have my mom or my dad or my grandparents be like, yeah, no, no. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. You, they're never going to be able to do that. That's one of the most soul wrenching things possible. So did you guys, uh, it sounds like in the town that you grew up in, you went through that as well, right? Yeah. I mean, I still, to some extent, go through that, to be honest. Um, but those kinds of reactions, it's not that they don't affect me because they do. I guess maybe now, like I said, as I'm getting older, like those kinds of moments don't have as much power as they used to over me. But certainly when I was younger, those things were, as you said, soul crushing. You know, like you're on, you're listening to something or you made something that you're so absolutely proud of. You created this like in your mind, like, you know, the Sistine Chapel is the most beautiful thing. And you're like, I did it. And everybody could give less about anything that you've done. I'll let Gordon chime in on his thing as well. But I think that's kind of like the reason why what brought Gordon and I together in Halifax, he was the only other person that I knew that made dance music. And we were both like, yo, let's be friends. Right. Like in a totally different timeline, I don't think Eric and I would have maybe ever really worked on anything together. Because like if we met today, having like the interest that we did, 
it was like a Venn diagram that like barely crossed. And the only crossing point was Ableton. Like our musical backgrounds were completely different. Yeah, totally like, different. Eric was in a progressive house and like he liked Tiesto and he was talking about going to see Tiesto. And I was like, I've heard of Tiesto. And I was like, but I'm really into like Radiohead. And I was just starting to get into dance music. So my version of that was like, Chromio, because I was like an indie kid. So Justice was probably the first one that I was like, oh yeah, that's cool. I never listened to mixes until me and Eric started hanging out. So I'm a lot newer to the whole thing. I was listening to IDM as well and uh, like had been for a number of years and you like had been listening to it as well. So it's really that's funny true. that we didn't go in that rabbit hole of music because that was like, I feel like if we had gone down that rabbit hole, like hardcore IDM, we'd be just an IDM act at this yeah. point. We would make zero dollars, but we would love it. I had a little bit of like entrepreneurial sense more so than now than I do now. I remember like the hustle and I had this fire yeah. where I would like go into shows and anybody that would come to town, I would bring a CD and I would like try to get their number. And like, I would be that annoying kid who was like, what's up, what's up, what's up, what's up? And like emailing anyone, just hitting up anyone I found on Facebook. You had the hustle. I did. I was that annoying kid who would just like try to be friends with everybody. Like local DJs, I would go to their shows and try to be friends with them. I mean, it did work. I have a lot of friends that are still DJs in Halifax. But at the time I was like, we are going to get into the musical industry and you are my partner on this journey. And I had like just broken up with my girlfriend at the time because I wasn't, you know, I wasn't doing music. I was doing like horseback riding and I was like, I want to make music. And she like realized that and we were like, we want different things, don't we? And I was like, I think we do. And going off of that energy, I was like, we are going to be DJs. We're going to do this. We're going to figure it out. What's popular right now? We were genuinely into it. It wasn't as contrived as I'm making it sound. We were like really into Fidget House. And we were really into blog. Yeah. We were literally listening to like everything. It was really helpful that the radio shows that we were listening to were like incredibly eclectic in terms of like the dance music they played. I mean, that time period was like really crazy all over the place, like a real melting pot of a lot of different styles. There was a lot of different music being thrown at us and we definitely just went hardcore gravitating towards like the wacky, like Fidget House, you know, like Jack Beats being, you know, big one and Crookers and stuff like that. It was just like, this music is like nothing I've ever heard of before ever in my entire life. But um, you know what's funny to think of <laughs> is that the music that we were listening to was just as much of a melting pot as our in own influences. Because like, yeah. how like French Bloghouse was like literally like klaxons and like midnight juggernauts. It was like bands being remixed by like Boys Noise. Yeah. Like, Ice remixed by Boys Noise. So it had like all this indie rock tinge to it, but also this disco tinge to it and like then the electro side of it as well. And so like all of those pieces were like the things that you and I were individually into. Mm -hmm. um, so like the music at the time was just like speaking to our souls, you know? Well, I mean, to get back to your question, again, the reason why we started hanging out was because we were each other's support system. We were like so stoked about it and couldn't believe that we knew another single human being that in the flesh that knew what Ableton was. We had like, you know, been on forums and whatnot. There wasn't even like YouTube videos of Ableton. I don't even think Ableton had a YouTube channel probably back then. Yeah, um, I don't know. I don't think so. You mentioned something a few minutes ago and how you were saying like you were that hustler guy, right? The guy that was totally into, you know, like just grinding it out, doing anything you can to make it right. And so I'm going to ask a question. I'm going to have you sit on it for a second because I'm going to do the music business tip right after I ask you this. I just want it to be melding in your mind. All right. So in this day and age right now, for someone who's, you know, kind of in that same situation as you, they want to get into the industry, they're working their, you know, their butts off to be able to make a living and make a career out of the industry. What would you consider a healthy 
hustle. One that's where you're not annoying. One that's actually really good. That's very fruitful. All right. So I want you to be thinking about that. All right. Does that sound good? Yeah. Cool. So be thinking about that. I'm going to get into the music business tip right now. Is that okay? Yeah, that's totally cool. So the music business tip that I have right now is primarily for people who are beginners. It could transcend into people that are more advanced, depending on if they have knowledge in this specific subject, but it's about branding. And so branding is the, where it came from. This is great. Cause I'm actually a, I'm a professional from where it came from. It started with farms back in the day, because if John, you know, if, if farmer John and farmer Joe, they both had cows, but one cow got into the other corral that wasn't theirs. They couldn't tell whose cows was who. And so where it came from was actually taking hot pieces of metal, which they still do, that has a symbol on it, and they brand the cows, right? So that way they know, hey, that, you know, that's Farmer John's cow and that's Farmer Joe's cow and so on and so forth, okay? Now, of course, it has been incorporated into business and taken much, much further in that. And I would say in this digital day and age that branding is more important than ever now, especially in a digital age when there's so many things grabbing for people's attention, branding is more important than ever. So great. So if we can establish that it's important, okay, what are some good branding habits to have. And this is great. And I'm really glad that I have you guys on because you guys do have good branding habits. Let's go over some bad branding habits. Okay. One of the worst things that you can do in branding is putting roadblocks in between you and the person that you're trying to fall in love with your music. And what I mean by that is whenever you brand yourself in any way, that requires the person to burn more brain calories to try and figure out what you're doing, you're putting more roadblocks in the way. For example, there is, what is it called? I think it's called Viva Chicken. It's this place that's local, right? And everyone rants and raves about it. But I went in and I looked at the menu and it was so hard to freaking understand the menu. There were so many brain calories that I was burning trying to figure this out that ultimately I was like, it's probably good, but whatever, I'm out, right? And so it's the same with the brand. If someone has to look at, you know, at, if they have to listen to your music or they have to look at a brand or all that kind of stuff and they're just like, I just don't understand. You know what I mean? You're putting those roadblocks in between them. You're not doing yourself any justice. I mean, for example... I was looking at a festival lineup and I saw these people's branding on there because they were showing the logos of the person. The problem with that is, is that the logo said nothing about what the person was or who he was. He didn't even say his name. It was just a symbol. And once you get big enough, you know, like once you get, you know, like Steve Aoki's status, sure, you can do that. But, you know, like if you're up and coming, all I looked at, I looked at the thing and I was like, I have no idea who that is. I have no idea what their music sounds like. I have no idea what's going on. There was too many roadblocks in the way. And so I just ditched it. You see what I'm saying? But if we look at your logo, and you're on the lineup says Botnik. Cool. I know it's Botnik. I know I can search them on Spotify. I know I can do whatever. You see what I'm saying? One of the worst things, I mean, if you if we really want to get into it, you should check out death metal logos because it literally looks like someone just cut a bunch of branches off their tree and threw it on the ground and took a picture. Oh, I know like all it, about death metal logos. It, exactly. Ah! Like, so <laughs> many brain calories. It's ridiculous. Okay. So that's the first thing. When you create a logo, when you create a name, when you create a brand, whether it's a sonic brand or a visual brand or whatever it is, don't put roadblocks in between you and the people. People. Make it so ridiculously easy for people to know who you are and know where to find you that it's just like second nature for them. If you make it hard for them because of the day and age that we live in, you're lowering your probability that they'll even care. Does that make sense? Yeah. yeah. I can tell you that we don't have like uh, an innate like entrepreneurial sense. We don't have branding backgrounds. We can't even believe we're doing music to be honest. But I remember that there was one smart decision that we made in the beginning was, and it literally came by an example. It was that we love this DJ named French Fries. And I remember the very first time trying to like find him on the internet, getting the results for actual French fries, not him. You know what I mean? 
when we wanted to make the name, I was like, okay, we have to make up a word and have absolutely no Google search results. So if you look up botneck and we did, it was like zero results. Like some Russian page came up and we were like, excellent. That's a great name. And that was the reason we did it. All the social media handles were available. Boom. Not like marketing geniuses, but we knew that you had to at least stand out and be easy to find. In terms of like our look, I remember I'll, I'm, <laughs> I remember this very specifically was when I remember talking to Fred Snails when he was first starting his project. He was talking to us back in like 2011, 2012 about not having a brand. We had no care in the world about how we were perceived. We would put pictures of our cats on our Instagram. There was not like any sort of real like vibe going on. It was just us being kind of like inconsistently lazy with the way people perceived us and not really caring. Maybe could have cared a little bit more. And I remember him taking me aside and being like, yo, man, you got to think about what your brand is. And I'm like, brand, what do you mean? He's like, let me tell you, I'm starting a project. It's called Snails. And it's about giant snails in space making trap music. That's it. And I was like, it's just that simple, huh? And he's like, snails in space. <laughs> was Literally, like, yeah. Crazy. You remember that conversation? I think you were there, Eric. Yeah, I do. And I we were know. all like, well, then he knows what he wants to do. Right. <laughs> that one singular thing. We were trying to like find like graphic design things that we wanted to do. And like, we we're just trying to do everything ourselves. We never really had a circle of people that were like showing us stuff. You know, we had friends like Fred was a good friend in Montreal when we were first like coming up because he was like in another duo and we wanted to, you know, talk about DJ stuff. Any sort of branding decisions we've made have just been like by accident. But you are right. Like you have to stand out to have some sort of identity, I suppose. But I don't think you have to overthink it. You don't have to create something. I think that would be like a falsehood. Like, you know, Fred nails, but Fred's a graphic designer first. So it made a lot of sense for him to come up with his logo, come up with that thing. And it's very much him. But like, if you're like a kid who's like, how can I stand out? Hmm. I'm going to be that guy who has uh, a rat tail. I'm going to be rat tail guy. You know what I mean? It's like that works for a little bit, but it's like, you want to be rat tail guy for 50 years? Who knows? Exactly. No, you're right. Thank you for adding on to that because you actually, yeah, you brought up a lot of big points like discoverability and writing a story behind your brand and stuff like that. And I appreciate that because these are all components of good branding. But it's important to note that, and this took me forever to wrap my mind around, but it makes complete sense. Good branding does not ensure success, nor does bad branding ensure not having success. For example, we can agree that Elenium is one of the biggest producer DJs in the world right now. Can we agree with that? Yeah, sure. Yeah. But at the same time, and I would tell him this too, like he doesn't have the best branding. For example, if I say the name Millennium, if you had no idea who he was, would you hear his music inside of your mind? Or would you picture a phoenix? I would think of Robbie Williams yeah, Millennium. Yeah, exactly. That's what I'm saying. That's what I'd be thinking. That's what I'm saying, right? His visual branding with like the phoenix and all that kind of stuff is actually great and it's consistent and stuff like that. But how the heck does a phoenix correlate with Millennium? When you start getting down to the nitty gritties and stuff like that, even the biggest people in the world don't have amazing branding. So like one of the biggest things whenever someone asks me about branding is like, should I just go by my name? Like, should I just create something called Wyatt Christensen and DJ underneath that? And Steve Aoki is a great example of this. It's actually on a branding standpoint, it's not the best. And here's why. Do you know in the music industry with us creating music and putting it out, do you know what we're selling? Because we're all selling something. Do you know what we're selling? The reason why people like your song is because they feel something. If they don't like it, they don't feel something. Can we agree with that? Yeah, sure. So we're selling a feeling. Well, guess what that feeling comes from? It comes from the hero's journey. It comes from people finding purpose and solace or meaning or whatever inside of your song. And so when you you create the brand that you are the hero, you are the main character, that kind of makes it hard for the person to fall into that and make them the main character. Even big story brands that are in the world like Harry Potter or
or someone else that is just a name. It's not written by Harry Potter. It's written by someone else. They are creating this atmosphere for you to fall in and become the hero in this story. And it's the same with music. And so when you brand yourself as yourself, you're not alluding to the fact that there's a greater purpose or that the listener can fall in and do it. Is this making sense? Yeah, yeah totally. I'm, it's like, yeah, you want to create something bigger than yourself versus just being like, check me out. I'm Wyatt Christensen and I make techno, or at least I would hope you would make techno with a name like that. Exactly. Now, again, now there are big people like Martin Garrix, Steve Aoki, so on and so forth that do have names like that. Again, we're not saying that good branding is going to give you success. We're just talking about probability here. When you have good branding, the probability that people are going to remember you shoots dramatically up. You see what I'm saying? It does. But would you agree that like in 2019, I see a shocking trend of it just becoming less and less important because people have all these tricks and all these tropes of like being a DJ with a helmet, being a DJ with a big funny logo, a mask or a mask or <laughs> something that you do. Like people are like, Oh, another one of those guys. I feel like there's always going to be one guy who does it like the end for quite some time. Like anyone else came along and wanted to pick like a snack food and be like, I am DJ pop tarts. And people will be like, okay, another one of these, I get it. It doesn't have the same effect as the first guy who like, nails it. You know what I mean? It's like with anything, if someone comes along and does a worse version of something that's already out there, then they're like, it's fine. I like DJ marshmallows. That's what I want. I don't want this other thing. You have to do something more unique. It's like, there's always someone who's going to copy what you do. I mean, it's, you know, it's a form of flattery, but like at the same time, trope is becoming harder to capitalize on. And I see young DJs who have like these slick logos and they have these funny press shots in there. And it's more and more becoming a very similar trend. But like, I think that since it is so easy to do that now, people are getting overwhelmed with so many options. And so you have to really be quite good. And that comes down to the music. And if you're all like package and no substance, then like people are going to be able to pick that out. And like people are getting smarter, you know, it's like, I think all in all the EDM bubble has been burst and like that excitement that in that first introduction, a lot of people have had to dance music. Like perfect example is a friend of mine who's a tour manager and he got introduced to dance music literally because he was tour managing like EDM acts. And he was like, this stuff's cool. And then he got into it. And now he's like, get those boom booms away from me. He just discovered Dirty Bird and that's his new thing. He's like, I want the unts unts. I'm like, yo, isn't that funny? He's just like any other person, people all change. And like, if you're doing something backwards leaning or like looking into the past and looking at like examples from like 2015 being like, I'm going to do that thing. I don't think that the world's in that state anymore. If you truly are doing something that's not honest in your own, then I don't know if it's really going to have the staying power. You're absolutely right. And if I can follow up with that, I agree with you 75%. And here's the 25% I don't agree with you. Okay. So, but mostly I agree with everything that you just said. The thing that I want to comment on is that when it comes to a brand that is low in substance, low in depth, what you're talking about completely applies here. So if someone just, you know, they want to create a very shallow brand and they want to go create a Pop-Tart outfit and you're right, they brand themselves as Pop-Tart. No, I think in this day and age, it's not going to have the effect that Marshmallow had a few years ago, right? I completely agree with that. The 25% that I don't agree with is that if they create a brand that is around something that is in depth and it kind of uses elements like what Marshmallow did, I think it's still completely viable. So for example, do you guys know who Crywolf is? Yes. Perfect. His branding, again, like he has a wolf mask and all that kind of stuff. But his branding is insanely in depth. There's so much symbolism. There's so much story going on. And that's one of the reasons why he has such an insane cult following. And so like in that instance where it's a very 
in-depth brand, a very hefty brand. It's not so sugar-coated, I guess you could say. Haha, <laughs> pun intended. Pop-tars, sugar. So you like that? You like that? Uh-huh, uh-huh. But you see what I'm saying? So like in our day and age, I think they thrives. And so keep going. If you give someone to like really put themselves into, I mean, the best example of this is 21 Pilots. The fact that like surrounding their most recent album, their fans are like digging out these subtexts to their music and like all of the characters that they bring up in the songs. And they're like trying to build this dialogue that may or may not be there. But the fact that like he's given you like that opportunity to dig in and try to like figure out what's going on, it makes people go, what is all of this? That's exactly what I'm talking about right there. So when you have that kind of brand, I feel like that completely thrives in our day and age. Can we agree with that? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Perfect. All right. That's good. Eric, do you have anything you want to chime in on this? I guess it wouldn't be so much that like I disagree. It's just more so I think it also really depends on the kind of artist that you are or the kind of music that you make. There are certain types of brands that work really well, you know, like Crywolf being, you know, kind of like a post EDM Porter Robinson kind of vibe where everything's like really in depth. The arts obviously has lots of different alternate meanings depending on, you know, what view you're coming from. And I think the music itself really helps to like extend that story. I guess what I'm saying is I'm agreeing with you. And I think that particular kind of branding with a certain style of music tends to like work a little bit better. Like this kind of branding, I'd be interested to see like a country music artist have like this kind of in depth branding like see that's so much about it country is more uh, about the character mm -hmm. country is more like casey musgraves like she's lgbtq she's like very open to that she's like supports that community and she's you know it's the whole story where she like leans between indian country and she's not alt and she's not country and uh mm -hmm. country really is about like the person telling the story and the, the lyrics that helps sell that but I mean, well, I guess and then that's would be a better way to like focus on the question of like, are there certain types of music in the way that you should brand your project if you wanted to, that would work better for the genre that you're making? I think there's a clear divide in what we're talking about and the fact that some of this music we're talking about is instrumental music and how yeah. to give that any context is your art and other things. Yeah, like if you don't have a dialogue in your music that people can latch onto, then it definitely helps the success of it if there's something surrounding it. Or if people are like interested in the people making it, they want to read Botnik interviews and hear them talk about, ooh, where they grew up, ooh, what they did. I mean, we do it for people that we're into. I remember being like every little snippet of justice I could learn about. I wanted to know everything or more so Sebastian. I was like, ooh, the mysterious Sebastian with the logo of his face. I'm like, I want to know about that weird guy. <laughs> yeah. And then we opened for him in Germany. That was a fun time. Oh, baby. So sick. I think that was a good music business tip, a good music business conversation. So I applaud you for that. So now let's hop back to that question that I've been having you slow cook for this time. So what, you know, as far as a healthy hustle for someone to come in and just grind to the point where they're not burning bridges, they're not being annoying. What would that look like for you? I think I've thought of it and I've come up with an answer that may change if you ask me like in six months. But right now my answer would be to not try to like force yourself to be any one thing and to truly find what your own vision is and to try to get a community around that. Find like-minded people that like what you like and that support each other versus like, I want to be opening for Steve Aoki because he's famous and like just interjecting in that and being like, I'm willing this to happen and like being around DJs and being like, yo, be my friend, yo, be my friend. That may work. I think that we kind of did that our own way and that was kind of how we became botneck is just by trying to have any connection to the DJ world and kind of willing it to happen and just being forceful about it. But I think that a more realistic way to do it is to 
have that community. And we started to fall into that over time as we started making friends with fellow producers. And that sort of happened when we moved to Montreal. But that's a lot more of a realistic way to like build something is to have, whether it's like you're a part of a label that already has something that you're looking for, or if it's like a group of friends who are making music and you all can like bounce ideas off of each other. That's so much more organic than like trying to just hit up everybody on the internet and emailing strangers and people that may not ever get back to you or whatever. I mean, the hustle is the hustle and you can do it a lot of ways. But the way that I think that makes the most sense right now is to have, you know, something that is your own and to like surround yourself with people that agree with you and to not try to force some sort of thing that you think will fit in with someone telling you how you can do your thing. You have to figure that out first and then push it. And it, I mean, it won't even really feel like pushing it. You're just going to be surrounding yourself with a world that accepts it instead of trying to change it and make it or will it to be something that it may not be, you know? Strong foundation. Yeah, yeah, totally. Eric, is there anything you want to add on to what he just said? Pretty much that. I agree with that. I don't necessarily believe in the idea of like an echo chamber where you just surround yourself with people who all agree with you, but it is a good idea to have a support system there. And I think being honest about what you want to do your music as much as you can at that time. I mean, I know it's very difficult. It was obviously Gore and I are still doing that. And we've been making music for, I mean, together, I don't know, like 10 years now, I guess. So 10 years um, in February. I mean, yeah. if you look at our Twitter bio, it says yeah. February 2010. So we're still learning. And I think you'll always be learning. But I think at the end of the day, you make music because you love it. And there are tips and tricks that you learn along the way. And the most important thing, I think, is staying power and being able to sustain it. You know, because trends come and go, things come and go, but if you really want to do music, it's not easy to keep that dream alive. It is really hard. And having a strong foundation, a strong support system, I think makes that a much more sustainable journey. Yeah. And I, something I would add is like, okay, so as many bad examples of branding as we brought up, and as much as like we can be like, that's corny, that's been done before, that is making light of or making it like a bad example. I mean, it's super easy to be negative. It's like really easy. Right. It's, it's easy fun to, be to talk good stuff. I mean, I can pull up so many examples of things that are good, like versions of things that I thought are exciting. Like, look at like, let's bring up justice again. Justice, the cross. These guys who are wearing like leather jackets and dressing like metal guys, but making electronic music. That was so interesting. Nobody was doing anything like that. And it wasn't like they were trying to find a lane to fit into. That was just their thing. They were like design nerds. Yeah, they're graphic design guys, right? And they were like, we like metal. We like Metallica. Let's get these ideas from Metallica. Let's like do all of this stuff. And they were just like, let's mix this cool music that we really like. And let's try and make Michael Jackson music. But they made it like their way. And it ends up being like this insane, absolutely insane, like genre breaking, you know, new sound that nobody ever heard of. And if we're talking about creating a unique voice that's truly your own, whether they realize it or not is a very interesting creative example. There's a book called uh, How to Steal Like an Artist or something like that. So there's one exercise in there that I've always remembered. And it talks about putting yourself out of your own creative head and trying something new. And one of the exercises they give you is to pick three artists you love, build like a tree and like look at like, so the tree would be, you would, for each one of those, you would pick their three influences and then go as far as you want to and doing your research or whatever. But to then pick some of the artists, two or three of the artists in this little tree or grid you've made and try to imagine a collaboration with these artists and make something like that. And in the case of Justice, they did Michael Jackson and Metallica. And like, if those two things can fit into one space, 
that's what justice was. And that was truly unlike anything that existed before that, because no one really thought of that. Swinging back, there is one thing I wanted to add to that, you know, like the healthy hustle. Really quick, I want to comment on something that should be obvious, but it is not. It's an unhealthy hustle. Do not reach out to people and say, hey, I released a new song, check it out. That is one of the worst, oh my gosh, frustrating, makes me want to delete Facebook every time I get one of those messages. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, 100%. Like, hey, hope you're well. Hey, I just released a song. Any support would be great. Like, that is the worst hustle that you could ever do. Like, the most ineffective. So impersonal. There's nothing about that that I would ever want to read. And I mean, to be fair, we've all done it. Yeah. In some fashion or nothing, we've all done it. But listen, guys, that is not the way to do it. If you want to work with someone or if you want to show someone your song, treat it like a relationship. Treat it like you're dating them and like bring value to them first, right? Because that would be the equivalent of like, if we translated exactly what I just said into dating, that would be the equivalent of, hey, I saw you on Tinder. Do you want to do my dishes? You know what I mean? It's like, what? So stupid. You would never do that, right? And you'd never do that. Well, I mean, you might for funny purposes, but you know what I'm saying, right? Yep. Cool. Perfect, guys. So I got one final question for you guys, and then we're going to wrap it up. Does that sound good? Yeah. Cool. So what is a concept like throughout your guys' musical career? What has been a concept that absolutely just like drove you nuts? Like it was something like that you couldn't figure out. It just like kept you up at night. You're like, oh, I just don't understand this one thing. But years later, you now understand that one thing. What is that kind of thing for you guys? I have two that immediately come to mind and they may not be the best answers, but there's the two ones I immediately think of. I remember when we started making music, I had this very vivid memory of me and Eric sitting in a friend of ours like loft studio and he would let us use his speakers because we didn't really have any space where we could work out of. And we were trying to make our version of like progressive house. We were like listening to like Eric Prids and stuff. And we were like working on this song for hours and hours and hours. And we were like, it's getting there. It's getting there. And then we were like, let's compare it to Eric Prids. And we listen and we go, oh, we're so awful. We are really not good at all. And that feeling of like truly not knowing what you were doing, like mix wise, having no concept of like what sounds to put together and just like really being a novice and that frustration that kind of goes back to what we were talking about earlier. That I have a grip on now. Like I can like see the DNA. I like when I hear a song, I can be like, ah, the components. Yes, I know what's going on. And that also makes it less thrilling because now you can just like hear it for its pieces and not have this like mystique and be like, oh, wow. So that I've understood over 10,000 hours of making music and 20,000 hours of listening to music. But the other thing and the more important thing that I've come to understand after, you know, knowing mixed stuff is understanding when someone says simplicity is key and really being like, no, it's not. And then being like, wow, yeah, it actually is. If you can like make a song with four elements, like that hilarious meme of like, or not meme, it just became viral of Fortet being like, here's my new song. And it was like six things. People were like, yeah, right. And they were like, oh, it is actually just six things, but it's awesome. Like finally understanding that you can make something good as long as you have a good idea. You don't need to like smash it with all these things that just like fill up space just to like be flashy. You can make something simple and simple is usually better. That's one thing that I never really understood until I actually had a moment where I did it myself. Almost like this is an idea with eight things in the song. And so when we made that song, Don't Need You, that was the end of a phase of like us putting like, 60 channels of drums and like so many little noises and like i remember we made a song vikings was an example i mean that song did well for us but it was like this bombastic session that had like 200 channels of audio and just so many things that weren't even really necessary but that was how we felt good about it but i remember making don't need you and like 
two sittings of like four hours and being done with it. And it's really only like a couple of elements and like entire like drum loops instead of like crafting every little sound and just being like, this song is just these five things and being like, you know what? That's a good idea. I can accept that. It was hard. I mean, it took so long for us to accept it. We went back and we're like, maybe we should change it because maybe that was too easy. Maybe we didn't try hard enough. Maybe this idea hasn't had enough hours into it. But at the end of the day, we went back to the first version of it. And that's fine because we realized that like, Maybe you don't have to overthink these things. As soon as you think about dance music, you forget that it's supposed to be about a feeling and not about a thought. It's supposed to be something for you to express yourself to and not like sit there and ponder the semantics of it. So simplicity is a big part of that. I see exactly what you're saying. I completely agree with what you're saying. Eric, do you have anything that you want to add on to that? No, I'd say that that's pretty much gone through similar you know, journeys, obviously working together, but also like separate with the separate projects that we do. And it's pretty much exactly that. It's like we got into a way of thinking and for us anyway, it was, it turned out to be incredibly helpful just rather than trying to polish this thing with all the extra fancy sounds and stuff. And I love doing sound design. I love layering things up and you know, it's so much fun, but I also have like the same amount of excitement when I make like a simple baseline that, you know, all it has is just like one oscillator and a noise oscillator on it. And I'm just like, Oh man, it sounds so good, you know, to me. And like that simplicity is also, you know, something I would never have done before. I would have had to put a million things on it to want that to be the expression of where I was going. And now I'm like, you know, I can really appreciate and understand simplicity a lot more than I used to. So what Gordon said is good. I just added onto it. Would you agree though, that it's like, you have to know what your song is about. Like if you're writing like, a ballad is it about a girl if you're making a dance song what is it about is it about that sound that comes in that everyone's like oh yeah like conga rock babylon it's about that percussion and that and that bah, bah, that comes in everyone's like oh you know it's like what is the song about what are you trying to say with it and these are the questions that people have asked us in the past and we're like i don't know we really like omnisphere and we really like ableton and then they're like that's really boring and yeah. like, i don't know what to say i guess that's what we like we were just inundated in trying to like learn the technical side. We never really thought about the branding or anything. We just wanted to know about all the pieces. So we got so focused on all the sound designy stuff because that's what we were trying to learn. And then once you take a step back, you realize that's not cool. But like at the end of the day, if you can't hum the song, even if it's like weird example, but like Vikings is like, if someone does that to me, I'm like, I know what song you're talking about. Or like Don't Need You is like, beep, woo. I'm like, mm-hmm. I know what song you're talking about. If it's just like this bombastic thing, so dense with ideas and like you can't even remember like the tune of it, maybe it's too much, you know, but hey, listen, art is in the eye of the beholder. So it's who's to say what's good or bad art. But if we're talking about things that connect with people, simplicity is good. Thank you for that, guys. That was really, really good. We'll just finish this up really quick. Did you guys have a good time? Yeah, Uh, fantastic time. Look at us getting so... You know what? I think that was the longest answer I've ever heard Eric give in an interview in the 10 years that we've been doing this. Well, when I'm given an opportunity, then I'll do it. It's true. (laughs) Eric, if if you haven't noticed already, I'm like the loud guy who's too over-caffeinated and shirtless and will just blab forever and maybe not even to like an end in sight. But Eric's like the thoughtful, calm one who will like carefully put together his sentences and like have his... Try my best. Right. And like there's (laughs) definitely interviews where the questions are like, What's coming up next for you guys? Do you like touring? And it's like <laughs> Eric being like, yes. I do. I do like those things. They are indeed enjoyable. Thank you. Do you guys like <laughs> festivals and clubs or festivals or clubs? Or do you like clubs? You're like, yeah, they're cool. <laughs>
You feel like this interview is definitely not like that. It was definitely more. Definitely one of a kind, uh, a lot more cerebral. I appreciate that. I see other people getting the serious questions. We always just get like, what does Bonnick mean? Yeah. I love it when we're invited to be a little bit more nuanced with our opinions. It's certainly a lot more exciting. Me. I mean, <clears throat> moving forward with the Botnik project is funny because we don't come off as like guys who are very like high-minded. We make jokes all the time. We like pickles and, and all this stuff. And so we're often giving the impression to the world that we're just a bunch of class clowns. And it's true. A lot of people just see us that way. We just go to festivals and like get drunk and like bop around and scream at people. And we like to have a good time, but you know, there's a man behind these feelings. <laughs> there is. And it's funny. Cause like, we really are in a phase where, you know, we're getting older. We're not just a bunch of party boys anymore. And we're like starting to be a little more thoughtful with what the Botnik project is and try to be more mature with it. So it's it's funny you'll see that like the progression in the next few years will be us taking the project in a more like grown-up direction but in our own side projects you know it'll be even more where we explore that eric's tom classic and my bell on v project which is sad boy reverb music you um, love sad reverbs i know you do i do dude like just give me like did you hear that i did I think it was hot cross buns. That was me. That's right there. <laughs> hot cross buns. There you go. That's it. <laughs> yes. Was hot cross buns in the minor key where you guys grew up? Yes. Everything was in minor. Everything was sad. Everything was in the fog key. The key yeah, that's true. Fog and dampness. <laughs> And perpetual winter. I was talking to my parents yesterday because it's my dad's 65th birthday. And yep, he's retiring soon. He's getting up there. Still doesn't have any gray hair yet, which is impressive. I have a lot of gray hair. The dance music industry or the music industry will do that to you. It will. So like not sleeping enough and stress over things that don't matter. But I was talking to him yesterday and he was like, yeah, we're getting uh, snow on uh, tomorrow. And I was like, you're joking me. And I was like there surrounded by palm trees, shirtless, doing Pilates. Those Pilates coming back. Those Pilates every day. Dude, guys, this was a fantastic, in-depth, actually, like, meaty interview. And I really appreciate you guys doing this. I really, really do. Thanks for having us. Hey, Daw Nation. I hope you enjoyed this week's episode of Behind the Daw with Botneck. And by the way, if you found anything in this episode, anything at all, that was really, really inspiring to you, really got the gears turning inside of your head, go ahead and take a screenshot right now. Tag me um, in an Instagram story at in the Daw, behind the Daw. I would love to know what you learned this week that really, really resonated with you. And Botneck would love to be tagged there as well. I would also encourage you to check out some of our other episodes that we've done. Like recently, we did an episode with Xylent. A lot of people have been really, really resonating with that. Um, so we just did an episode with AU5. Again, a lot of people have been resonating with that. So you can go through and check out some of our old episodes. Um, there's so much value there. I mean, there's so much value. And it's free. You know, you just keep listening to it. Why not? Sounds great. And finally, Dawn Nation, if you want to take your sound design skills to a whole different realm, then go ahead and check out the AU5 and Dawn Nation course called The School Base. Now, this, this course has so much in it. It has over 20 hours of content and includes a ridiculously huge amount of effects racks, instrument racks, and project files. We have an unreal amount of bonuses like mini arrangement templates, a sound design journal template, access to the private Dot Nation Facebook group, and a personal 20-minute coaching call with me. So we originally have this course priced out at 497, but until the end of the year, we're actually going to be having it at 2 
24-7. At the beginning of the year, we're going to be repricing it because we're adding so much more content, so much more value that's going to be coming with that. So if you've been sitting on the fence this long, you've been listening to a couple episodes, you're like, ah, this kind of sounds cool. You know, I've been really thinking about it. Then go ahead and hop on it right now because we're actually, um, for those who don't know, we did have a subscription model tied to it where you could just access all of the content for $47 a month and, you know, just use it for as long as you wanted to. But we're actually going to be getting rid of that. Okay, so only the lifetime access is going to be available. So if you want to see AE5's methods of just unreal sound design, unreal processes, unreal sounds that he can create literally at the drop of a hat, go ahead and check out the school base over at courses.donnation.net. That is courses.donnation.net. And by the way, if you want to check out the free version of it, you know, there's a little little free version, little mini version that we put together for you. You can head on over to courses.inthedot.net. Now remember those two, those two websites are different. For the free version, it is over at courses.inthedot.net. But Dot Nation, I hope you really, really enjoyed this week's episode. Hopefully you got a lot of value out of it. And if you did, go ahead and tag me in an Instagram story. We'd love to hear from you. With that being said, Dot Nation, we'll see you back here in a couple weeks for our next episode of Behind the Daw.